Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Wow, uh, I hope I live up to that then. <laughs> right. So I've got a little bit too much technology um, for my comfort at the moment, but that's good, isn't it? We need to step out of our comfort zones at some times. Uh, so I have a tablet, a phone which is connected to a laptop, and a recorder and a microphone. So I'm not the best with technology at the best times. My daughters own the remotes on the TVs in the house. I don't particularly know very well how to do like Disney Plus or Netflix. So we're all, we're into the grace of God already. <laughs> So, but uh, yeah, thank you um, for the warm welcome. Okay, I think, am I there? Yes, okay. Right, so I'm going to juggle this. I don't know quite how I'm going to manage, but let's put that there. So uh, before I start, uh, I feel it's probably good for me to pray. Um, So Heavenly Father, thank you that you are present, uh, that you are present here with us, that you are present here to us and in us and through us. And Father, I pray that as we have already been engaged with your presence by your spirit, that um, you would start to restory our imaginations. We're told so many stories uh, in the world of how we are supposed to be, of how the world is oriented. But Father, we pray uh, that by your spirit, through my words, if you can do that, restory our imaginations so that we are immersed in your story, the beginning, the middle and the end, that you are the one who is telling the story through us and in us and to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, So I feel I'm in a good place. Uh, The message that I kind of felt God laying on my heart um, basically leaves prayer at the start, before the worship, about bringing all of our baggage, our full selves, uh, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, and then the worship, obviously, all about Jesus, and then Adam uh, kind of sealed it, um, literally robbing my entire message. (laughs) Um, I believe it was with the Spirit, so I'm going to take it up with him later. <laughs> the notes, right? So, but it's all about, um, so Adam, I took some notes while he was uh, speaking and just saying about, we've so often immersed ourselves in the stories of, of this world that t- tell us about power, about victory, about triumphalism, about that vapid glory, that vacuous position of ascending upon high. And Jesus steps into the the fear, the terror, the bodiliness of the disciples in that upper room who were feeling what they felt in the wake of Jesus. He didn't dismiss it. It's all right, guys, book up. Instead, he stepped in and pointed to his own body. Jesus was bodily resurrected. Sometimes we don't know what to do with that. It means something, we think, Jesus was bodily resurrected, but we don't know. Okay. I'll park that, I'll put a pin in that, I'll come back to that later. I'm not quite sure why it's important that he was bodily resurrected, that he points to his hands and his side. But there's something to do with peace. There's something that he comes to us. But Adam articulated so beautifully, so I'm going to stop there and just sit down. (laughs) But what I want to talk about today is we're starting in Hope Springs a new series uh, called Jesus Is. We are uh, focusing on Jesus, which is great as Christians. Um, I've spent the last two times I've spoken talking about Marcus Rashford. Um, I I genuinely have. Um, So this, as a Liverpool fan, this feels like uh, a release, a repentance. This is my my cleansing 
Um, Lord knows that Liverpool need a left-sided attacker that can score goals at the moment. Uh, so we're talking about Jesus, and really um, what I wanted to talk about is Jesus, who is fully human. So I have a slide. Steve did the slides for me, by the way, so credit where credit's due. Um, so often, yeah, so we don't know what to do with God as a human. Our theology, if, if I can uh, be a bit technical for a bit, since the 1600s, we, we've been so dominated by an obsession about a narrow idea of getting saved. The only bit of Jesus' life that's really, really important is the bit when he was on the cross. And that's all we've done. We've fixated, are you in or are you out? How am I going to get you in if you're not in? And if you are in, how do you stay in? We've been so preoccupied with, what's going to happen when I die? Will I get to heaven? This dominates Christianity. And we have no idea what to do with, what about the other 33 years of Jesus' life? What about the bodily resurrection? We don't know what to do with these things. But Jesus came. He was incarnated. God could have saved us in many ways. But the most potent, the, the, the one that fitted his plan and his purposes from the very, very beginning was to become human. If I can, again, use some technical language. So often our theology is revolved around our soteriology, our notions of getting saved in a really narrow transactional way. Jesus did this on the cross, so God, the judge, won't be angry with you. Really? Is that, is that the, the, the finality of Christianity? Is that all we've got to offer the world? God's angry. He smashed his son on a cross. There's, you know, there's a whole other Bible, but just read the last couple of chapters of any of the Gospels and you're good. But one of my favourites, if, if, um, for those that know me, know I rattle on about Karl Barth all the time. But probably 20th century's greatest theologian. And he said no. Any conversation about anything has to begin and end with Jesus Christ. He is God's chosen way of revealing himself. He is the fullness, it says in Hebrews, of the expression of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you want to know the Father, then look at me. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega of all conversations about God. But somehow, in the church, we haven't grasp this because what we do is we take a little bit of um, coffee table philosophy a little bit of oh this is the way the world works a few truisms a few maxims a few political slogans and slap Jesus on the top of it and say that's how life is how should church orient itself well we take the, the richest most impressive person and put them at the top so they can wield ultimate power from a platform and we'll cascade down the hierarchy. But that looks an awful lot like everything else in the world. They, could, they might as well not be called a pastor. They could be called a CEO. And it'd work just as well. So what I want to suggest is that when we come to consider Jesus Christ, we have to take everything that we think we know and take those thoughts captive, like it says in 2 Corinthians, to Jesus Christ. And place him as our first point of understanding. And again, referring to technical language, allow our Christology to shape our theology, which will then shape how it is to be human. Our Christology shapes our anthropology. Okay, and that just means when we talk about God, we talk about Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus, we talk about it, what it is to be truly human. One of my favourite 
preaches a guy called Andrew Ant over in the States. He said, we are never fully human until we are human as Jesus is human. And so today, I want to talk about Jesus being human. This is wonderful. I just tap the, tap the phone and it works. So this is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another one of my favourites. I have many favourites. You know how preachers do that thing where they talk about their favourite Bible verse? And it's not. It's just the Bible <laughs> verse they want to use. I genuinely like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I read a biography of him and everything. <laughs> and I love this. God becomes human. Really human. While we endeavour to grow out of our humanity, to leave our human nature behind us, God becomes human. And we must recognise that God wants us also to become human. Really human. Out of love for human beings, God becomes a human being. He does not seek out the most perfect human being in order to unite with that person. Rather, he takes on human nature as it is. <clears throat> There's so much that we could say from this, but the gist of it is this. If Jesus was to come today, if God was to want to talk to humanity today, he is not going to go to Jeff Bezos because he's one of the richest human beings on the earth with the biggest reach. He's going to come to people like you and me. He's not going to descend to London or Paris or New York and talk with whoever happens to be in charge at the time. Maybe the, the, the magnate who runs all of the newspapers. No, he's going to turn up in Coventry with regular people from regular walks of life, doing regular jobs. Don't forget that Bonhoeffer, executed by the Nazis during World War II, days before the end of the war, when he talks about God becoming human, he is combating a mindset of the Ubermensch, the super ultimate, you know, the race, the chosen race. So Bonhoeffer isn't just making a cute statement for Christmas time, this is from a Christ Christmas devotional by the way, about baby Jesus in a manger. He's making a powerful statement against the tides of the world where it cost him his very life to point out the fallacy that might is right. It's not. Jesus came as a human, really human. And at the risk of injecting too much pathos into this, I was at a funeral on Tuesday, and I'm not looking for sympathy, and I'm not one of those emotional vampires that needs to milk other people's pain to get you applauded. That's not what I'm looking for. But there's nothing like a funeral to focus you on human frailty and grief and pain. What do we do with that when we have no words? Well, there's this beautiful moment. Jesus' friend, Lazarus, dies and Jesus turns up and Mary and Martha both go to Jesus and they say he's dead and Jesus doesn't offer them platitudes he's in a better place what does Jesus do shortest verse in the Bible he did what humans do and entered into grief bodily and wept so we're talking about Jesus being human, what it means for Jesus to be human, and therefore what does it mean for us to be human, really human. You see, Jesus didn't become a superman. Oftentimes, it's quite funny with the mic, isn't it? Oftentimes we want Jesus to be superman. 
We want, I mean, if, you, if you're DC, that is, and if you're Marvel, you want him to be Captain America, right? I know, I know Steve secretly does. He uses a quote from Captain America all the time. But the fact is, he, he wasn't. If we look at the Gospels, he didn't come into a house of privilege. Like, we desperately, desperately, oh, it was of the house of Judah. You know, we want to build his lineage. We take those bits, those really weird bits, you know, the, 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 all of the names. Look, he's really important because so-and-so was his ancestor. Look how important Jesus is. He wasn't. He was born in a regular person's house. Again, we want to make that really romantic at Christmas. He was born in a manger of a stable. He wasn't allowed in the, hotel, the local inn. But that's not what the language says. Okay? That it's just a regular person's house. They used to keep their animals inside to keep them warm. It's like the basement of the house. He was born in a regular person's house, in a regular community. It was like Jesus was born in Coventry, or Bedworth, or Nuneaton, away from the power centres of this world. There's this wonderful bit in the Gospel of Luke where it says, you know, in the time of Tiberius, and, you know, uh, Pilate was the, the guy, and they were having this census, and the word of the Lord appeared in the wilderness. It's brilliant. Just cuts away all that. Yeah, Tiberius, Caesar Tiberius, really important guy. Pontius Pilate, really important. Herod the Great. Really important, where's the word of the Lord? Not there. Somewhere else. So when we're talking about Jesus, we're not talking about a superman. He wasn't ridiculously rich. He didn't have a huge corporation at his disposal. He didn't have a marketing team. And if he did, he would have driven them nuts. Jesus, all the people want to see you. Okay, let's go to another village then. Jesus, people are following you around. Okay, let me talk to you about crucifixion, Peter. It's not the way Jesus is. Jesus becomes human, really human. And the funny thing is, is that you know that joke where it's like, wait, um, I need to get to this place. Oh, well, I wouldn't start from here. And that's how we feel as Christians. We don't want to start with Jesus being human. We don't want to start with the God revealed through this frail, broken human being that can actually physically have nails driven through his hands we don't want to start there we want to start with god the almighty i feel a little bit awkward jesus about you losing this one i'm going to go back to the old testament because that's when god really kicks some ass right i'm going to roll forward to revelation didn't we as evangelical christians have a massive fixation with that yeah jesus came meek and mild the first time next time he's coming with a big sword wading in blood our saviour everybody and the thing is we carry this message we get this message we we absorb this message from the culture we live in we we don't take jesus as he is we take a lot of this from the world and then import jesus into that you know, just a quick look at advertising, and advertising is everywhere, right? You want to go on YouTube to find a video for your sermon, and there's adverts. Because if you drive a better car, if you wear a certain brand of clothing, if you take a certain holiday, shot now on a drone, so the water looks exceptionally blue, and there's yachts, and there's people on jet skis and stuff, then you'll be happy, and you'll be attractive. And everybody will want to be around you. And of course, money magically flies into your account if you have these trappings. If you look this way, if you drive this way, if you associate with these people, if you follow these things, if you have this app. Oh, and by the way, if you have Jesus and have this latest 10 steps to um, Christian ministry thing, then you're good, you're gone. 
But that's not how Jesus is. We're told by culture, and we're told by Christianity a lot of the time, be better. Be less you. But we put a thin veneer of Christianity on that, don't we? Less of me, Lord, more of you. And we think we're saying the right thing. But Jesus becomes human, really human, because we're human, really human, with all of our frailties, our brokenness. And they're the romantic ones, because mental health is a real thing, and we can talk about these things now. There's a, we have a language now to talk about the turmoil that we all face. But we still don't like talking about our obnoxious qualities. Like we can confess, I'm struggling, I'm under a lot of stress. And Jesus comes into that. But Jesus also comes into, yeah, I absolutely swore at that guy that cut me up. I totally did that thing. I was really, really grumpy with my kids. And my kids are lovely. Until bedtime. (laughs) Our obnoxious qualities. Jesus becomes human, fully human. And he knows my obnoxious qualities. As well as my frailties and my brokenness. He knows my failures. And because Jesus becomes human, really human, then there is hope. There is hope that those things can be touched, those things can be redeemed, those things can be restored. Because Jesus isn't asking me not to be me. He's not asking me to be a super version of me. He's asking me to be me, really me. Because he became human, really human. He's inviting me to become human, really human. We all know this scripture. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one in who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. You see, Jesus isn't fuzzy about what it is to be human, really human. We're not just beautifully broken people. Sometimes we're just downright horrible people. And Jesus knows, because downright horrible people, how complicit they were, who knows. But they still nailed him to a cross. They still called for his blood. They still betrayed him. They still couldn't keep watch with him while he was praying and sweating blood. So this isn't a romantic notion about we just get healed from the things that afflict us. It's also about all the terrible things that we do that we don't like to confess, that we don't like to stand up in front of our Christian brothers and sisters and say, actually, yeah, sometimes I haven't got it. And I'm not preaching these kind of like I'm a worm of a worm of a worm type sermon, oh, woe is me. Quite frankly, I haven't got time for that. That doesn't do anybody any good. To hold my hand up and say, yes, I can be a bit rubbish sometimes about how I treat people. I can be self-obsessed. I can be a little bit too much involved in my own thing that I've got going on as opposed to other people. That doesn't scare Jesus. He's not phased by it. Because not only do we get grace, we have mercy. We have mercy. We find mercy in the hands of God. As much as we find the grace, the gift in the thing that helps us and pulls us through, we find mercy towards the things that we're not so proud of, being human, really human. 
I love this. Absolutely love this. For that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. But that which is united to his Godhead is saved also. Gregory of Nazianus, so one of the great Cappadocian fathers of the early church. And what he's arguing here is that Jesus was human, fully human. Else I wouldn't have chosen it as a quote, because it wouldn't fit with my message. But basically, he was combating this, the heresy of, of that. I won't, I'll bite my tongue off if I try and say it. But basically, that was the heresy saying that Jesus wasn't fully human. He was half human, half God. And there was a separation. And he could manifest or step into either aspect of his personality at any given time. So, in a psychological term, he, he, he was a dual personality. But Gregory was arguing, no, he wasn't. He was fully human. Because if he wasn't fully human, then we couldn't probably be saved. As God tells us we are saved. As the New Testament tells us that we are saved. In all of our body, in our whole body, that we will be saved in our fullness. And I love this. He doesn't use the word saved. We like to use the word saved. That's, that's the only kind of transactional language that we can figure on now since the Reformation. It says healed. Because sometimes sin isn't the do wrong, the bad thing. Sin is a sickness that can be healed. I love that metaphor. There's a great, um, you've heard this before, Lee. Um, George Lakoff is a, a professor of language and he talks about how the metaphors we use about things, they actually shape how we imagine them. So, you know, uh, an example is this. You know when you talk about a debate? We use warfare language. I've prepared my defence. I'm going to go on the attack. But the thing is, is, a debate can be quite a healthy thing. But if you start to bring warfare language in it, there can only be one winner and one loser. So it changes the nature of the debate if you deploy that metaphor around it. And the same with Christianity. We have so become wedded to deploying judicial language around God the Father especially that it's really hard for us as Christians to see past that now. God's the Father, yeah, but he wears a white curly wig and has a gavel. And we have a hard time reconciling those two images. But how about a doctor, a physician, as a metaphor, as a primary driving metaphor, and then try and re-describe what goes on in atonement using that metaphor? Instead of a judge being really angry, needing to give out punishment and reward, but punishment mainly, because we seem to be fixated on that. It's just some sort of weird like masochism that we've inherited. How about a physician that's come to heal you of everything that's taken you down, of all that sickness? But he is assumed. He's taken on all of our humanity. Not just the good bits. Not just the bits that are, yeah, I really want to go to church on Sunday. I really want to sing that song. But the bits that are really grumpy, that are really miserable. That do swear. We can be honest and have hope because Jesus is human, really human. And he knows all of that stuff. He's not unaware, he's sympathetic. And where there's, where there's a need for mercy, mercy is already provided. And where there's a need for grace, the grace is already provided. We can come boldly, not hesitantly, not coweringly, not with cap in hand or a list of, I did all these things, so God, you owe me. We can come boldly before the throne of grace to receive it in a time of need. We can be honest and it can be healed.
and redeemed and restored. Jesus was not resurrected as an ethereal spirit, disembodied, perfect, but just not touchable. Neither will we be. We'll be resurrected in redeemed, restored bodies, but still fully us. God didn't want a load of worshippers at the end of all given time of clones. And we won't be. How dull would that be? God would be so bored. I'd be so bored. <laughs> and that's what's important, right? What I think. <laughs> you see, the thing is that when Jesus becomes human, really human, that gives us permission to be human, really human. Not to gloss and essentially lie about how well we're doing. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm fine. Actually, I'm not doing so fine. And whatever that thing may be. And by allowing ourselves to be ourselves, not the airbrush version of ourselves, not the stomach sucked in, Instagram filtered version of ourselves, not the version of ourselves that has to scream into a pillow for 20 minutes before the family comes around, just so you don't say anything stupid when they're there. Jesus gives us permission to be ourselves because he's really him. He's really human. Therefore, we can be really human. And that doesn't mean we get to stay there. I am what I am. Deal with it. No, it's to enter in. To allow ourselves to be transformed. Because we can't be transformed from a place we're not at. We can only be transformed from where we are at. So we could kind of stop there. Um, but it's not my nature to do a short sermon if I could speak for like three hours. So. <laughs> you see, because when we start to acknowledge our own frailty, our own brokenness, our own obnoxious qualities, because Jesus is really human, which permits us to be really human, we also start to recognise other people's humanity for what it really is. I love this. In, in, in Hope Springs, we're doing this thing where we're reading through the Bible in a year together loosely and we've just gone through like Genesis and Exodus and we're into Leviticus so I know Beth just joined in on Leviticus so she's really enjoying the bits where it's talking about carving off the fatty lobe off the kidneys of every, of every uh, sacrifice <laughs> inspiring stuff I tell you <laughs> but in Exodus it's amazing it's so this great verse in, in the middle of all the law don't be nasty to other people because you know what it's like. Or, or in biblical language, sorry. You should not wrong or oppress the resident alien for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Enshrined in the heart of what we take as legalism, quote-unquote, is compassion. Empathy. You know how that feels. Don't continue it. So because Jesus is really human, which permits us to be really human, then there is a modicum of mercy and grace for other people to be really human. Because we appreciate that we are failed and flawed and frail and broken. And sometimes when we act out, like just going back to the funeral thing, um, so it's one of my cousins who I didn't know very well, so again, I'm not trying to generate any sort of sympathy, but, you know, like we got back and that evening, 
I was so ridiculously grumpy, like more than normal. <laughs> and Nick's going, hey man, <laughs> she's going to run up and put a fiver at my feet. In <laughs> just ridiculously grumpy, like the kids will tell you. Like, I was just ridiculous. And, and then like after about, you know, I want to say a few moments that I felt the Lord speak to me. But no, after about two hours, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> what's going on? You know, but God comes into that. And I can recognise that for just me being obnoxious. I know it's hard to believe. Except for, yeah, Lydia's smiling already. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, but we have these qualities. And it's not, I, I'm not being down on myself. I don't feel kind of insecure standing up in front of you airing this. Because Jesus is really human, and therefore I can be really human and honest. But if I can be really honest and know that the grief I felt from the funeral manifested in really strange ways. And actually me being really off with people around me. Then maybe the next time I encounter somebody being really off with me, maybe they're not that really nasty person who's only going to get better if I swear at them. <laughs> but so maybe they're having a hard time with something, and this is the way that's coming out. Because nobody has allowed them to be human and met them where they're at. So Jesus becomes human, really human, which allows me to become human, really human, which allows them to be human, really human. So I could stop there, and it'd be really, it'd be a sermon about being kind to other people, right? That could be the punchline. We could finish there. Be kind. We all need kindness. You don't know what anybody else is getting. There's memes about it on Facebook. I could have got one of them. My session has timed out. <laughs> grace upon grace. <laughs> yes, please. And it is grace upon grace. So it's almost, almost a, an image there. And the word became flesh and lived among us. So just in case you were fuzzy about what was going on, the word became flesh. And you know the word flesh is a loaded term in the New Testament. That has all sorts of connotations. I love that John didn't say the word became a body. The Lord became incarnate, because that's a real spiritual word, so we can use that one. It became flesh. With all the implications that flesh has in the New Testament, Jesus stepped into that. And lived among us. He didn't just turn up and do his TED talk and go away, leave some sermon notes. Richard Beck... Um, the psychologist who is actually a really brilliant theologian said Jesus didn't live, leave us a political manifesto he left us with people to get on with he lived amongst us visible, tangible what we have seen, what we have touched, what we have heard this is what we testify to you in 1 John and we have seen his glory the glory as of the father's only son full of grace and truth from his fullness we have all received not grace but grace upon grace. Because we receive grace, but we still need more. Because the transformation isn't like that. I know we love that sort of thing. Church is as guilty of it as just eat. We want things instantaneously. Lay on hands, and I'm a brand new person. None of my douchey qualities exist anymore because somebody prayed for me, and I'm good to go. I'm never going to be grumpy again. I'm never going to swear again. I'm never going to swear at my kids again. Lord, help me. <laughs> because somebody prayed for me. But we know that's not like it is. I mean, we may want to deceive ourselves, that's how it works. 
But it's a process, isn't it? It's a transformation. We need grace, and then we need more grace, and we're going to keep going back to that throne for mercy, because sometimes we have that, and grace. Because we're human, and we're really human. Uh, grace upon grace, yes. You see, Jesus embraces our humanity. He steps into our humanity. He lives within reach of our humanity, within touching distance of our humanity. He puts himself on display for our humanity. In our fear, in our, f- in our closetedness, when we're afraid and we've run away and we're hiding behind a locked door, Jesus comes in and says, look, flesh, you can t- touch the wounds. Feel how broken I am. I know your pain, Thomas. I know your fear, Peter. But be not afraid, because I am with you. Jesus embraces our full humanity. And unfortunately, sometimes, he embraces whoever they are, their humanity. So that could be the the disparaging them, those people that aren't like us, or those people that aren't like me. Bad news for you. Jesus loves them as much. I had the privilege of working for Open Doors with Brother Andrew. Um, and I remember one time I was his, uh, basically his PA at Soul Survivor. It feels like I'm name dropping, but I'm really not. This is just a really cool story. Um, and so he gets up to talk, and this is Soul Survivor, right? And Tim Hughes in his heyday when like, all the girls fancied him, because you're allowed to have like, a Christian crush, right? <laughs> it, that's really spiritual. And so Tim Hughes is interviewing Brother Andrew on stage in front of like you know, 20,000 screaming teenagers. And Tim Hughes is like, so Brother Andrew had been working in the Middle East. Um, and in his book um, called Secret Believers had just come out. And that's all about how he'd gone into like these crazy uh, like training camps for jihadists. And he says there, there were kids in there, like he's only six, like learning how to strip down an AK-47. So Tim Hughes asked the question that everybody wants to know, how can you possibly go to terrorists? And quick as a flash, this like 80-year-old guy at the time, like spun around on the stage to the darling of the, the Christian set at the time, Tim Hughes. I think he was only in his early 20s. How dare you call them terrorists? They are people with whom, like, we have not reached with the love of God. Talk about understanding the enemy, right? Brother Andrew had developed a sense of the love of God that one day maybe I'll get there. I don't know. Grace upon grace, right? But if Jesus embraces our humanity, we're all nice folk here. We're at church on a Sunday morning. Come on, we've got to be pretty nice. But he also embraces there, whoever they are, however you, you construe they. So it could be political, it could be racial, it could be ethnic, it could be whatever you want. But Jesus embraces them too. And the thing about this grace upon grace is that as we receive grace, we, we, we need more grace. And we have a bigger capacity for grace. And we learn and we transform. Not like robots in disguise, but we grow. We have our mind transformed in the renewing of the word we become more like jesus more of the spirit of god comes out of us as we are honest about where we're beginning from this is my humanity these are my failures these are my this is my frailty god i need grace in these areas because i can't get on with that person right now i need grace and then you meet with that person because that's how god does things right 
and you walk away and it's like we survived they survived i survived all good i need more grace god because i, I don't want to hold unforgiveness against that person but right now that's where i'm at instead of saying oh everything's all right how are you doing it's like when god talks to us how are you doing i'm okay jesus knows because jesus is human really human by letting jesus be really human and him permitting us to be really human we can let them be really human and we by allowing jesus to be jesus and me to be me and them to be them i'm not responsible for changing them that's jesus's job i can see all their faults as is so often the case i can see everybody else's faults and what you know if you just change this you'd be a nurturer person to be around Jesus deals with that with me. And Jesus also deals with that for them. I think this might be the last slide. Yay. So a person that knows a thing or two about navigating these sorts of difficulties between people. Desmond Tutu. So this, forgiving and being reconciled to our enemies or our loved ones is not about pretending that things are other than the way they are. It's not about patting one another on the back and turning a blind eye to the wrong. True reconciliation exposes the awfulness, the abuse, the pain, the hurt, the truth. It could even sometimes make things worse. You wanted to hear that on a Sunday preacher, right? It is a risky undertaking, but in the end it is worthwhile because in the end, dealing with the real situation helps us bring real healing. Superficial reconciliation can only bring superficial healing. And this is the thing, because Jesus becomes human, really human, not pseudo-human, not Superman, not Iron Man, or Captain America Steve, wherever he is. I can be me. I don't have to deny or hide what's going on. I don't have to pretend, because we do this in Christian circles, yeah, I'm great, I'm blessed. Praise the Lord. Actually, my work's been crummy, and I've got, I'm, I'm having words with God about that. Job, Job didn't, it's in our Bible. It's, it's, it's biblical. The Psalms, two-thirds of them, seriously. God, what are you doing? Jesus is really human, which allows me to be really human. Not, not hiding, not pretending as if things were other than they were. And it allows other people to be really human and to trust that Jesus is dealing with them just as he is dealing with me. And this is the thing, because often messages about be kind to other people, which essentially this is. If you, if you wanted to strip away like 30 minutes or whatever I've been going on for, be kind. That was the message. The problem with that is, is what happens if you're not in a healthy place? Then the demand, which we place on people because it's spiritual, for compassion becomes more like Stockholm Syndrome. The difficult, awful people that you are facing, they're exploiting you be kind it doesn't work it doesn't work because we think instantaneously you can be full of the mercy and grace of Jesus and it might work from time to time there could be a supernatural investment in you to deal with a situation but the problem is for, for the being wife to say be kind does not wash because it's a process for the person in those awkward, exploitative situations, be kind doesn't work. Pray to Jesus. Now that does work, but not in the way we want it to. Because it's a process. For that person to ever get to the point of reconciliation, 
And I'm taking this from Desmond Tutu, who oversaw the Peace and Truth Commission in apartheid South Africa, where he was reconciling people that brutally tortured people. And he got to a point where some, not all, not even a majority, of mothers were able to look their children's killers in the eye and say, I forgive you. This stuff isn't Pat's Sunday morning fodder. This is being really the children of a God who was crucified, who allowed himself to be murdered on a cross. I don't want to give you sentimentalisms or just an emotional high. In fact, if you go away from here thinking, man, I'm really bummed out after that sermon, I'm okay with that. It's grace upon grace. We're allowed to have boundaries. We're allowed to say, actually, because we're really human, I haven't got what I need to deal with that person today. That doesn't mean that you're washing your hands of them. That doesn't mean that you're saying, I'm never going to forgive them. But what it does mean is that you are allowing yourself to be really human, which therefore allows Jesus to be really human to that person. Because too often we think, I have to forgive them, else they'll never know. I have to explain to them what they've done wrong, else they'll never know. And there are sometimes, let's be honest, we will never get to a healthy point with that person to be able to do those things. But because Jesus is really human, and I'm allowing myself to be really human, and I'm allowing them to be really human, then I allow Jesus to be Jesus to them, just as much as he's Jesus to me. So I receive mercy and grace, and I trust that mercy and grace is there for them. Because I'm well aware that they don't well need it. Boundaries, recognising our frailties, our limitations, I'm not there yet, is one of my limitations. Allows Jesus to come and minister that grace and mercy to me. And I will find grace upon grace in a time of need. God becomes human, really human. And that gives us permission to be human, really human too. And that allows us to let somebody else be human, really human as well. If we deny or avoid our own humanity, whether it by self-delusion or needing to pretend to save face in front of other people, we miss Jesus, who has become human, eternally human, really human. Because we are looking elsewhere for him, and he is right here all along. So I'm going to finish there. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, just minister to us now. Help us. Whatever it is, where we feel lack, where we are all too aware that we are not living up to some idea, whether that's self-imposed or imposed on us from outside, or some weird notion that we have of what you expect of us, God. I pray that by your Spirit, you would reveal to us the Christ who became human, really human, who assumed our humanity and therefore has healed that. And that, Father, we come back time and again, not just because we like the songs, we come back into your presence time and again to receive mercy for the things that we need mercy for, but also to receive grace and grace and grace and grace and grace for the things that we need your good gift in to navigate. So by your Holy Spirit, be with us all now. In Jesus' name, amen.